Welcome back to Biblical Book Review. I'm Kevin. I'm Alec. And I'm George. We are so happy you are joining us for today's study. Today we'll be in chapter 2 of the Training of the Twelve. Last week we looked at the beginnings. What are we looking at this week, George? It is the call from the Savior to the fishermen. And it is a, a wonderful account where Jesus encounters hardworking men and calls them into service for him. And it is one of those things that has happened to many of us where Jesus makes that call and we answer. And so I'm looking forward to this uh, particular chapter, Fishers of Men. Yeah, that's one thing that never gets confused of who said that. We know who said that. That's never been in question of who said you know, I'll make you fishers of men. Everyone knows Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, historians even try to discredit Jesus even existed, but man, they they can't. <laughs> uh, they they try and they 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 can't. <laughs> he he's a real person, and he really said these things, and it's it's impressive. So when we look at the account there in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, Matthew and Mark, uh, an abbreviated account, and I believe Luke must have been on the peripheral kind of watching from a distance because he had uh, some inside information. Uh, obviously, he could have been moved by the Holy Spirit and, and given that information, but just because of, of the intimate uh, details of what's happening between Jesus and his call to these fishermen, I believe Luke uh, must have been there, if, at least on the shore, listening to the interaction between these guys. And it's interesting to see how uh, this is portrayed and put down in, in the Scripture so that we see how James, John, uh, the, the fishermen, Peter, Andrew, how they just simply hear the call and immediately follow Jesus. And that's, that, to me, is fascinating. We see in this, this chapter that there's three levels of discipleship, right? As we break the chapter down, there's the accompanying him when it was convenient. We saw that when, you know, the early trips around and, you know, the wedding and all those different things. And then the, they were with him most of the time, right? That's like the second step is they're here now most of the time. And then the third is when they're just drop everything, they're with Jesus. And the idea that Jesus is going to form this, you know, band of brothers, uh, you know, that's kind of a coined term in our in our vernacular, in our society today, but this band of brothers, this, this select group of individuals, he's calling them to this great work. I'm going to send you into the world, into uh, a hostile world, and I'm going to put you to work in the divine kingdom that will last forever. And what a great call uh, that is, this last and highest stage of discipleship when they're actually chosen by the master. Remember that uh, time back when we were kids and you'd line up against the fence and you're playing softball and the captain of the team, Alec, would say, I'm going to choose Kevin because if I choose Kevin, we're going to win, you know? And then everybody else gets chosen and they finally go, well, let's, let's take that old man over there. Let's, take, let's put him on one team or the other. And the idea of being chosen uh, as, as these disciples were chosen, uh, they had a particular... Uh, characteristic, and, and Jesus saw something in each of these individuals. And this, this work that they're called to is, 
is to give this faithful account of, of what they hear Jesus say, what they see Jesus do, and his character and his spirit. They, they get to witness that, and then they write it down. And so it's, it's something for all generations, and what they're doing is what we're told uh, later by Paul is to find faithful men to teach faithful men to teach faithful men, and that's what Jesus is displaying here, to have disciples who might train other disciples and so on, and the divine kingdom has been established or is being established from these very simple and small seedlings, these seedlings of faith from these, these uh, hardworking fishermen uh, there in the Sea of Galilee. And to go back to your analogy of the, the kickball on the playground, right? Picking, he always picked the best. He wanted to win. Well, you look at when Jesus picked, he didn't pick with what he, you know, he knew, he saw inside them. He didn't see the superficial. They were all of humble birth. They mm. did not have a social status. They all had low paying occupations. And it's like, why would he pick them, right? There was the religious elite at the time. You would think, oh, if he wants to have the, the dream team, he's going to go there. But we've seen through history, through sports, Sometimes the best stars all jammed together don't play very well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and even you know amongst the twelve apostles there, you know we know Matthew was uh, a tax collector, and then we know that you know Simon was the zealot. And if you know anything about you know tax collectors and zealots, uh, they don't mix well. <laughs> they don't, and you know <laughs> they, one would kill the other, and I know who would survive that one. And so uh, it, it's they have these characteristics that you know from a worldly perspective, if we look at it and go. Man, this this is not, this is not going to end well. This is going to just be a disaster and a mess. But Jesus, like you're saying, Kevin, sees beyond the physical attributes and where they are physically, sees into their hearts and their spiritual uh, hearts, and just kind of says, "I know what you can do. I know your potential. I know where you're going, spiritually speaking." And it really doesn't matter where you are uh, physically. You could be a fisherman. You could be a tax collector. You could be the zealot. You could be whatever. Whatever you are. Jesus says, I'm going to pick you and you're going to change the world. That, I mean, that's a, it was a huge, really kind of a cool thing that Jesus did. (laughs) Yeah. And you're going to work together. Yeah. I mean, we look at today's church, right? We have people with all kinds of different backgrounds that if we didn't have the common, you know, thread of Christianity and following Jesus and being a disciple of his, we probably wouldn't get along. And if you and I fought, who would win? (laughs) (laughs) No comment. Well, regarding this, uh, this call Without these individuals, without these first 12, the doctrine of our Lord, the works, all the, the miracles, all the wonders, all the things that he did, went about doing good, his very image would have been lost forever without these guys that, that said, we saw him, we beheld him, we, we listened, we were in awe, we, we saw it all with our eyes, we, we could touch him, we... We went out and we had uh, this interaction with him and with all the people as they, they saw this, and they wrote it down for us and for all time. And so Jesus, he knows what he's doing. He says, I'm, I'm calling you into service, and I see something in you that only you can provide for the kingdom. And in spite of their uh, immaturity, their, their lack of faith, sometimes we, we sort of kind of give them a disparaging look as far as, boy, they just didn't know what they're doing. Well, neither do we sometimes. And we, we often think about these guys and say, when are they going to learn? Well, 
It's a process. And Jesus can see, of course, the very beginning and all the way through all the trials and tribulations and then the very end. Of course, he can see all things because he is divine. And so this, this call, without it, all of his doctrine, all the works, all of his image would have been lost uh, in antiquity. But no, because of them, we now can believe. Yeah, and you think about like where you start as far as your current spiritual level, so to speak. How, where are you at? Right? These guys were immature in the beginning, and then they learned from Jesus, right? We can't necessarily learn exactly straight from Jesus, but from his word, right? We have that. We have his perfect word to learn from. And the question is, what experiences have brought you to your present spiritual condition in your life, and is it where you need to be? Hmm. That is very good, and it's, it's that polishing effect. We are, we are called to reflect uh, the brilliance of Christ, his brilliant light into this dark world. And as these disciples who had become apostles, they had this polishing effect going on. And Jesus is, is making sure that that reflection is going to be just right, just perfect. And it's going to extend to everyone. It's going to go into all the world as we're, co- we're called uh, to go into all the world and, and preach the gospel and teach the things that Jesus taught and and to baptize uh, individuals into this wonderful kingdom, into this eternal kingdom, this spiritual religion, and proclaim something that is uh, a horrible uh, death, this cross. We, we look to this event, and, and these apostles, they don't have any idea what's coming. They don't know exactly the plan, and they got to trust that planner and this world that needs so desperately the redemption, the, the salvation that Jesus offers, it's going to be put into these, into these hands, into these capable hands, even though huh, they're immature at this time, even though their, their mirror of reflection is, is dim, it's, it's vague, Jesus says, I know, and I'm going to put you as heralds, I'm going to send you into this world with this particular uh, proclamation, go into all the world and tell everyone that I've come here to redeem the world. And what a great opportunity. And with that privilege comes that responsibility. And of course, this character that Jesus sees in these individuals, it's got to have this, uh, as A.B. Bruce would say, this combination of freedom of conscience, the enlargement of heart and enlightenment of mind at this incredible degree. And Jesus says, I can see these humble fishermen. I can see their work ethic. I can see that I can put them to work for me in this mighty kingdom that is going to come. Yeah, and and I I really, I just wanted to read that paragraph that you you pulled this from, from right from A.B. Bruce's uh, chapter here. And, you know, bear with me. It's it's hard to read, uh, but... He, he he sums it up, and it, it's one of those where you read it and you go, man, that was, wow, how do I even say that again? So, so bear with me, but I'm going to read this paragraph here from uh, the book, and he says, Those on whom so much depended, it plainly behooved to possess very extraordinary qualifications. The mirrors must be finely polished that are designed to reflect the image of the Christ. The apostles of the Christian religion must be men of rare spiritual endowment. It is religion intended for all nations. 
Therefore, its apostles must be free from Jewish narrowness and have sympathies wide as the world. It is a spiritual religion, uh, destined ere long to antiquate the Jewish ceremonialism. Therefore, its apostles must be emancipated in conscience from the yoke of ordinances. It is a religion once more which is to proclaim the cross, uh, previously an instrument of cruelty and a badge of infamy, as the hope of the world's redemption and the symbol of all that is noble and heroic in conduct. Therefore, its heralds must be superior to all conventional notions of human and divine dignity, capable of glorying in the cross of Christ and willing to bear the cross themselves. The epilistic character, in short, must combine freedom of conscience, enlargement of heart, and enlightenment of mind, and an all in the superlative degree. <laughs> superlative. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> what a word. It, I mean, it's, it's, in, it's incredible. And the, this idea of being a mirror of, of Christ and our, our work here should be, we're polishing ourselves, we're polishing our Christian image in order to reflect Christ, and just think about the uh, the awesomeness of, of that. I mean, God in the flesh came to earth to teach us uh, and, to, and to save us from ourselves, and then our responsibility is to polish ourselves, to reflect that image to the world, and God says, I'm, I'm going to depend on you to take this message. Uh, and, you know, because God could do anything. He could open the minds of every human being on earth of all time and just put the information in there and just supernaturally everyone understands. But he says, and that's not the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to rely on you. You're going to take part in this mission to save the world. Uh, it's it's humbling. It's wow. And so, uh, and these 12 men that were the beginning, the the apostles here, that weight on their shoulder just from that understanding and you know like you're talking about we we kind of look at them and we we make fun of them sometimes and say well they didn't just get it they how do they not understand it's like man just think of the pressure and the uh the immense uh (laughs) pressure that they had on their shoulders of yeah you're going to be the ones that are going to be witnesses of me of my of my resurrection of my life of my uh teachings and then you're going to take that into the world uh for all mankind for all time uh good luck <laughs> when they were called we see their character as godly men they're waiting for the messiah they're anxiously uh, hoping for him to arrive they're they're introduced to him by that river jordan and they have this this spiritual characteristic, and yet, combined with that, is all of their prejudices, all of their the their narrow mindedness, all their superstitions, their misconceptions, their their animosities toward any other nation, even their their half breed Samaritan you know brothers there just to the north. It's like amazing how the combination of all of that thing, Jesus sees into their character and he scatters this seed and he expects an abundant harvest. That's what Jesus does in every century, in every generation. Individuals, men and women, scatter the seed. They they begin with their children, they begin with their friends, they begin with their acquaintances and they they just scatter the seed. That's what we're we're told to do and then we expect harvest. And Jesus says, "I'm going to I'll provide that for you." And that's going to be a wonderful ex- uh, experience to be a part of that wonderful opportunity to scatter the seed.
Yeah, it's crazy to think that they were the beginning and they were dreaming of this kingdom and God gave them duties. And I love that, the analogy of the mirror and polishing the mirror. And the reason I, I, I love that so much as I think about it and I've thought about it for the week is a mirror, if you have children or just a house with mirrors, do your mirrors or your glass stay clean? <laughs> they don't. You can polish it as much as you want. And if you leave it, if you don't attend to it, it then becomes dirty again. And that's why this analogy for me works so good because Christ gave these apostles duties, right? And we hear that. We hear, hey, you're given a duty. We automatically in today's age think, well, that's going to be, you know, preaching, teaching, song leading, whatever you want to say. Like we go to the, the you know, acts of worship in the church. Well, that's not necessarily a duty that you may be given from Jesus. But we're all given the duty of polishing the mirror because if we don't, continue to polish that mirror, it becomes dirty. It's something we have to constantly be working on. And it's something I have to constantly be working on. I, My mirror gets dirty quickly. And if I don't attend to it, I can't even recognize myself. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, bouncing off what uh, dad said here of these, you know, these, the characteristics of them, you know, brand new to this, to this work of these kind of superstitious, their Jewish prejudice, all their baggage that they're uh, bringing with them, and you know, it reminds me of just uh, characteristics of of, of new believers uh, in Christ as well. Uh, we get this in our minds sometimes that I've got to be, I've got to be perfect before I can come to Christ. I have to, I have to get my life fixed first. Which, you know, it's 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 the opposite with with Christ. We we come to Christ with our our problems, and then He fixes them. He's the one that that changes, and He's the one that changes these apostles here. They came with all of their baggage, with all their prejudices, with all of their narrow-minded superstitions, uh, and they had to unlearn what they had learned and learn the good. Uh, and this is something that is is not unique to them. It is it's it's across all time with with believers. We have to. Uh, you know, I, I don't like the term, you know, I grew up in the church, but we get that, we get what that means. Uh, we, we grew up around uh, religion and we understood these things, but sometimes that can bring our preconceived notions of how things should be or how they should not be, or the exact opposite. If you did not grow up in the church, those same things, you, you bring those, oh, this is the way it should be. This is the way I see it. This is the way from the outside looking in. And we have all of these things that we bring to it where Jesus calls us to unify under his word, uh, and that requires us to, like it, like he said, like baby Bruce said, we they had to unlearn the bad. They had to uh, get a past some of these things in order to understand the good and the truth uh, that Jesus was presenting to them. And when we see uh, the interaction in Luke chapter 5 of Jesus and Peter, Peter and uh, Andrew and, of course, uh, James and John, are out working all night. They've been trying to fish. They've been trying to maintain the, their family. They're, they're providing, and they're, they're failing, and they don't have anything to show for all their work. And Jesus comes along, goes up to Peter, and says, Launch out into the deep and let your nets down. And Simon, who's going to be called Peter, says, We've worked all night, but at your word, I'll do that. And, of course, we see as the account unfolds here, Jesus provides them this great catch of fish and they have to call their their partners over and the boats begin to sink and and Peter recognizes something that is extraordinary there's something out of the ordinary here this 
the supernatural being is in his presence and he's he gets down on his knees and he says depart from me i'm a sinful man i i can't be in your presence i understand now exactly who you are and i can't be here and this this combination of of good and evil of of the grace of god and the nature of man it's it's found here in this in this exclamation when peter says depart from me i i know who you are now there's no there's no doubting in my mind and this reverential awe and this this unfeigned self humiliation he said i i can't be here and so it's interesting when we fast forward into our society into our uh, century and we see that exact same thing happening in our lives and you think about that time when when jesus called and when you realized when and you looked in that mirror and you said i'm unworthy i i shouldn't be in your presence at all and jesus says oh yes i know you're unworthy but i'm going to use you even with your imperfections even with all your baggage as alec was talking about even with all the the smudges on the mirror as kevin is talking about all that he says i see that and yet i will use you for my glory and this animation this devotion to jesus and to this this budding divine kingdom uh, it's happening right in front of peter right in front of james and john and andrew and they're they're sitting there standing there and seeing uh, the glory of God, and they understood it. And Jesus then says, from now on, <laughs> you're going to be fishers of men. And like we said at the very beginning, this is a well-known comment and statement by our Lord. And so these individuals, even though they are imperfect, uh, they had this enthusiasm, this, this desire to be a part of this wonderful and new kingdom. And as I... I reflecting back on what we've talked about, we talked about those three levels of apostleship, right? The first one being just being around Jesus when it's convenient. And we all can see those that are at that spiritual spiritual immaturity that are just around when it's convenient, you know, maybe just show up every Sunday here and there or whatever. And it's moving from that to the second level of always being around. And then the third is being chosen, right? So if we can move ourselves to always being around and wanting to have Jesus in every part of our lives, we are going to be picked, right? It doesn't matter. Like you said, if you're good at kickball, you're going to be put on the team because Jesus wants you. If you're always around, he's going to use you. You know, yesterday was Sunday for us, and we had a sermon that I actually paid attention to. <laughs> and it was about showing up, having the faith to be there, and Jesus will use you. And that's exactly what we're being talked. We're talking about here is if you show up and you have the faith to be there, Jesus is going to pick you, and He's going to put you to work. And the idea of of being fishermen, you're talking and listening to a, a group of men that that love to get out in the river, love to go to the lake, love to put that line in the water, and the idea that the only way you're ever going to catch fish is go fishing. <laughs> That's, that's a given. I mean, it's like, it's like learning to say it. It's like, if you want to catch fish, you go fishing. I was watching a, a show the other day and these guys were supposed to be fishing and they had been doing something else. And they came home with, with a stringer of fish. And one of them says, 
you forgot to take the price tag off the fish. <laughs> it's like, it's like, you forgot. It's like you had one job and they weren't fishing. They're were doing something else and their wives were mad at them and all that. But it was, it was a funny moment. But the idea of, of fishing in order to catch, we've got to put our line in the water. We've got to put that fly out there. We've got to put that lure out there. And Jesus says, from now on, you'll be fishers of men. And what did these, what did these Galilean fishermen do? They put their, their line in the water. They put their nets in the water. They, they went out in, at, this, at this massive scale. And what did they do? They gathered many souls. Just like when Jesus says, put out in the deep water, they brought in so much fish that Luke says their boats were sinking. And it's like, that is impressive. And that's every fisherman's dream is to, to put our line in the water and catch so many fish that every cast, every Every time we put something in the water, another fish hits. That's Jesus. And he says, I want you to put your, your line into the sea of the world. And I want you to bring multitudes of disciples. I want you to bring that. And that's what these 12 men, that's what they did. They changed the world. They, they taught the gospel to the entire world. And how did they do it? They put their fish, they put their fishing line in the water. They, they put it out there. They, they cast into the deep, and Jesus says, I'll provide that increase. And so what a wonderful uh, privilege, what a wonderful responsibility to be given that fishing pole, that net, and say, go into all the world and put, put out into deep water, and I'll provide the increase. Well, it's symbolic that they caught so many fish that they couldn't handle it. Jesus saying, hey, you listen to me. You become fishers of men. You're going to catch so many fish you can't handle it. That's the, what I'm getting from this is, hey, you listen to me. You go out there. You're going to save so many men. You're going to have to call help because you're going to have so many in your net. And A.B. Bruce must have thought about this a lot because he talks about the mirror. Well, how do you attract fish? With shiny things. So the shinier we are, the more fish we're going to attract, we listen to Jesus. We're going to have so many fish in our nets. We're going to be calling people for help. Yeah. And, you know, I'm reminded, you know, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, you know, he says, I'm going to use the foolish things of the world, uh, God says, to to make the wise look foolish. Uh, and we, you know, these fishers of men, these, these apostles, they're, you know, they're fishing and they're not catching anything and they're professional fishermen. I mean, these are not just recreational fishermen. These are commercial fishermen. <laughs> they are professional. This is their livelihood. And Jesus, who is not a fisherman, uh, comes out and says, just cast it on the other side. They could have easily said, what are you talking about? We're the professionals here. We know what we're doing. You have no idea what you're talking about. But they had the faith to just listen and cast the the, the nets out on the other side, and they were overwhelmed. And all throughout Scripture, we get just strange things in scripture that, that God uses uh, to just basically test our faith. Uh, like Kevin was talking about, um, the sermon that I preached uh, yesterday was basically on the walls of Jericho and the strangeness of, you know, Joshua telling the people to, you know, march around the walls and then, you know, blow the trumpets and yell and shout and, and that's what's going to cause the walls to fall down. And it's like the people could have easily said, that's, that's dumb. Why, why are we doing that? Uh, but, but they had the faith in 
uh, Joshua that he was telling them uh, the truth and that Joshua was listening directly to God, and they they had the faith to just do what they were told, to be obedient. Uh, and the walls came tumbling down, and then you move it into uh, Christianity, and we look at, uh, you know, the plan of salvation involves us... Uh, uh, hearing it and believing it and uh, repenting of our sins, confessing, and then we are uh, publicly immersed in water, and we look at all these things and say, "That's that's weird. Why why would that do anything?" Well, it it doesn't. Uh, but our belief and our faith that God is doing the work and He just wants you to be obedient—that's the important part. And we see this in the fishers of men here. They were obedient. They could have easily argued and said, "We know better," but they did it anyway, and it shows their faith and where they were at at the time, and it's something that we, and you know, as Christians, should should learn from and listen and follow, be obedient, even if it seems weird by human standards. God doesn't use human standards. <laughs> he uses God's standards. <laughs> and the object of their faith is a person. The center of that circle was Jesus, and there he is telling just a, a simple command, just cast out on the other side, put in the deep water. And because they listened, because they obeyed, and Peter, I love, I love his response. He says, we've worked all night, but at your word, because you said so, I will obey. I'll do it. And that's our, that should be our response. Uh, we have, uh, we've got this uh, volunteer army. We we uh, we often look at uh, following Jesus as sort of a uh, optional uh, thing in our life. We say, you know, I, I I'll I'll show up on Sunday. I'll show up on Wednesday occasionally. I'll I'll serve here and there. It's it's optional. And at first, it was like that for these disciples. They followed John for a while, and John introduced them to Jesus. They followed Jesus. They're kind of off and on. There's there's individuals coming into his life. There's individuals leaving. They're they're back and forth. But these individuals, these twelve, are are getting focused, and they're. They're dis- deciding that this is going to be compulsory. I'm going to, this is what I must do. And remember when the, uh, uh, the Philippian jailer asked Paul, he said, what must I do? And the people there interrupted Peter at the first sermon, what must we do? And Jesus responds and he says, follow me. That is now it's compulsory. Now it's something that must happen. It's a consequence of our faith. And so when they, they look at the center, at the object of our faith, they look at Jesus himself. We want to be around him. We want to see as many works as we can. We want to hear as many words as possible. And so how do we do that? Well, we surround ourselves with individuals with like mind, with those individuals who are truth seekers, who are looking for this one Messiah, this one redeemer of mankind. And surround yourself with those people. And then encourage them to move forward in this wonderful, marvelous kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at what Jesus asked these apostles, these 12 that would become apostles, he wanted them to forsake all and follow him. All right, so maybe the question comes up, maybe the question is, well, do I have to leave my family? Do I have to leave my wife? Do I have to forget about my my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, do I have to just follow Jesus and, and you know, like go off into a, a, a place all by myself and, and do that thing that Jesus asked me? Well, it's like, well, we, we see in the scripture that, that Peter, 
uh, has a mother-in-law. In fact, she is ill, and Jesus comes in and, and heals her. Uh, there were women that uh, followed Jesus, and quite often they were uh, the mother of Jesus, some of her close friends, uh, maybe some of these soldiers, some of these married soldiers, they took their wives with them, maybe uh, the other apostles. I, think, I believe Paul mentions that in some of his writings that uh, all of uh, the apostles, uh, except him, <laughs> except Paul himself, uh, were married. And so on occasion, uh, these women would follow Jesus. They would, they would be there. We see at the foot of the cross who, who stays to the very end. Well, it's, it's women. And uh, of all uh, the servants of Christ, of all the individuals uh, that are, have been called into service, uh, some of the most important, if not the most important, are our wives, our, our mothers, those individuals that, that have trained us into uh, following Christ, that have shown us the way, and we see the example of that found here in uh, the, the training of the Twelve as, as the company of, the, of these Twelve men. Uh, they're going to travel from place to place, and occasionally uh, their wives are going to accompany them, and quite possibly as they go further and further along, uh, we even see there in Acts chapter 1, uh, there's 120, and it's men and women, and there's there's all of these individuals that are following Jesus, and probably, uh, we're not given all that information, but probably most of these are going to be the wives and children of these uh, first 12 men. Yeah, and, you know, the early church, you know, here in its infant state, uh, very nomadic. Uh, this idea of, you know, a church building, <laughs> this is not something that was really even thought about for centuries. Uh, and they would meet in people's homes, yes, but it was... It was very nomadic, and they would be traveling. They'd be on the road with, uh, oftentimes with their families and things like this. And you know, Jesus does say, you know, uh, we're gonna make. I'm gonna make enemies out of family members, out of wives, out of husbands, out of mother-in-laws, out of fathers, out of mo- all these, all these people in our family. And I believe that this is this is only the case. Well, you know, if you you forsake all, you forsake all for Christ, and they don't want to come with you. They want to turn their back on Christ. Your responsibility then is to attach yourself to Jesus, um, no matter the cost, is the is the example we find in Scripture. But Lord willing, and hopefully, that's not the case. You attach yourself to Christ, and your wife, your children, your family, they're right there with you. They're, they're right there following with you, and you're, you can uh, be in this this place where it's 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 beautiful bliss of not only do you have a church family but your your physical family is right there along with you that's that's such a blessing and uh, y- I think you're right dad that Paul is talking about other apostles that they all had wives because Paul's the only one that that didn't he says their their wives were um, most likely right there along with them uh, for for most of uh, their ministries here uh, and they they were along those uh, people that would, uh, when when the apostles, you know, forsake all, uh, they either decided to come with or they did not. Uh, and so these these examples of these uh, these people and the women that we see in Scripture, they are they are powerful testimonies to uh, followers of Christ, and lots of great examples. As you're saying, you know, they're at the foot of the cross. The women that are there, where are the apostles? <laughs> They all scattered. They ran in fear, uh, and the women were like, "We're, we're going to follow Jesus no matter what." And, and so it's 
there's some impressive uh, followers of Christ that we can find uh, in Scripture, male and female, and it's it's a it's a beautiful uh, example examples to follow for sure. I look at the uh, the military, right? I have a military background. When you see the military and the operations of it, it's something like ninety to ten, ninety percent to ten percent, ninety percent as support. 10% are actually the operator that are doing the job, but it takes that 90 to lift them up to be able to do it. Cause if you drop any of that off in the support side, the guys that are trained to do the job in the field can't do it because they don't have the support. We look at this is, and I don't want to say it's just women because there are men in the support role in the church too. But we look at this as like, if we don't have the support and I say we very loosely, but if those who are doing the teaching, the preaching, the missionary work, if we don't have that support, you know, building these guys up, they can't do what they do. These apostles, if they didn't have their support system in place, they couldn't do what they did, and they needed it. I mean, it's it's not a, a small task. It's not a demeaning task. It's not something that's less than. It's vitally important. And so when Jesus asks us to forsake all, Really what we need to be focused on is the idea of forsaking our sins. And that really then becomes our objective. When he says, repent, (laughs) that's what he's talking about. And he says, I want you to focus on me. And I want you to surround yourself with individuals of like mind. And of course, uh, becoming a Christian is probably the, if not the most important, it's the most important decision that we make in our life and then the second one is the spouse that we choose and when we have those two in unison with his will then together we can support each other and as Kevin was saying this idea the support system without that it's very difficult and so Jesus asks us to follow him and our response needs to be like these apostles We look to him, to that center of the circle. We watch him and we listen to him and then we follow him. And so this becomes our objective as Christians. Yeah, and I I like how A.B. Bruce puts it right there at the end of of chapter 2, the last couple of uh, sentences here. He says, uh, When the object of faith left the earth and his presence became spiritual, all occasion for such a nomadic discipleship was done away. To be present with him thereafter, men needed only to forsake their sins. So we leave you with these questions. Which level of apostleship or discipleship are you at currently? If you are around Jesus when it's convenient, how are you going to push yourself to be around him all the time so you can be chosen? Do you have a heart full of compassion for the kingdom of God? Are you willing to forsake your sin and yourself to follow Christ? Thank you for so much for joining us for this week's study. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.